This is a presentation of Redemption Bible Church. For more information, please visit our website at redemptionbc.org. Uh, my kids, Ava and Jackson, they are generally shy, but when they get comfortable, they get a little too comfortable. Uh, take Jackson, for instance. He's my four-year-old boy. Um, for instance, he might barely look at you the first time you meet him, but once he gets comfortable with you, he won't leave you alone. Chances are you'll suffer some battle wounds playing make-believe Avengers. Uh, funny thing, if you ask him who his favorite character is, uh, a lot of times he says Thanos. Um, so do with that what you will, but just be careful. Um, and uh, yeah, but the same thing happens here at church. At first he wasn't comfortable with the building, the layout, um, and, he, and he grew up here. But so once he got comfortable, he got a little too comfortable, especially this one specific time. And you know, it's not too difficult to look around after service and see the many kids of redemption running around and playing. We all love the sound of kids making themselves at home here, right? I think it's a wonderful sign of a healthy church, but this one Sunday after service, it was business as usual. Jenny and I are just mingling with those around us um, as our kids play. And we always try to keep one eye on them, uh, just in case. And I swear there was just a split second where we didn't. And the next thing you know, Ava rushes over to us to tell us that Jackson went outside by himself. And so panic immediately sets in, our hearts drop. Um, and all the fun that he was having, he stepped outside the front doors of the church and was trying to get back in, but he got locked out. Uh, thankfully, it was just for a minute, but that minute felt like an eternity. Fortunately, he didn't go much further than the porch, and one of the wonderful ladies here who also happened to be outside walking in at that exact time <laughs> was able to bring him in to us. Uh, we were so relieved, and we were so happy, but also not so happy with them. Uh, some of you know where I'm going with this because something similar was happening in this passage in Luke chapter 2, where Mary and Joseph were searching for 12-year-old Jesus, couldn't find him, was a little traumatized, and then relieved and frustrated when they end up finding him back at the temple in Jerusalem. So Luke is the only gospel writer to record this specific event, the only biblical account we have of Jesus outside of his birth. Many of us have heard this passage before, but it's easy to dismiss this as an interesting, lighthearted, one-off story about Jesus as a kid. But there's actually something really deep and profound and powerful happening here. And if we don't fully grasp it, we miss a crucial part of who Jesus is. So no, Jesus is not uh, Kevin McAllister, and this passage is not the Bible's version of Home Alone. Although there was a split second where I wanted to call the sermon Home Alone, Lost in Jerusalem. <laughs> Don't write that down. That's not the title. <laughs> in reality, this is a story that demonstrates the humanity of Jesus coupled with his divinity. He's fully God and fully man. And yes, many of us have heard this before, but I'm afraid that it simply remains an abstract idea rather than a truth that we internalize in our hearts and live out practically. See, young Jesus is growing in his own awareness of, his, of this identity and the unfolding of his purpose on earth. And in doing so, Jesus is literally revealing to us who he is. And if we miss the significance of this, we lose sight of who Jesus is, just as we'll see happen to Mary and Joseph. And friends, knowing Jesus is everything. Knowing Jesus puts everything into perspective. Everything falls into place. And so before we continue, I want to ask you this. 
And be brutally honest with yourselves. Peel off a few layers if you have to. How are you actually doing in your relationship with Jesus? Do you feel like there's any part of you that's lost sight of him? I'm not sure where everyone's at, but chances are there's going to be times where you feel distant from him. And so how do you go about finding Jesus when he feels so far away? And that's what we're going to be talking about today. The actual title of today's sermon is Finding Jesus. Finding Jesus. Because if we don't find Jesus, it's not Jesus that gets lost. We end up being the ones lost and disconnected from Christ. But when we grow near to him, we find that his presence makes us whole. And so to make better sense of this, we're going to split this passage into three scenes. Three scenes. Losing Jesus, searching for Jesus, and finding Jesus. So the first thing is losing Jesus. Let's read verses 41 through 43 together. Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up according to custom. And when the feast was ended, as they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents did not know it. So Jesus is 12 years old. And the, and the reason Luke specifically mentions that here is because in Jewish custom, the age of 13 was a crucial moment. It's when a boy becomes a son of the covenant. Or another, in present day, you'd call it his bar mitzvah. In those times, it would be completely normal for Jewish boys to take part in events like Passover a year or two before they turned 13 to prep them. And we see here that Mary and Joseph were devout to continue tradition and traveled uh, to Jerusalem every year to remember Passover. And the first Passover, if you're not familiar, was when the Israelites were enslaved in ancient Egypt and God sent plagues to convince Pharaoh to free the Israelites. And the last of the plagues was the death of the firstborn males of Israelites and Egyptians. However, God instructed the Israelites to act in faith by spreading the blood of the lamb over the doors so that the angel of death would pass over them, leaving them unharmed. So it was customary to make this pilgrimage to Jerusalem and commemorate this event every year, celebrating the liberation of Israelites and remembering God's faithfulness and his mercy. And uh, I'm sure they had a great time at this feast, but afterwards, all who traveled from near and far would head back home. But Jesus stuck around instead of leaving with his parents. And Mary and Joseph had no idea and went on their way. So one of the things that comes to mind as I, as I read this was, everything was fine as they celebrated Passover. But it's when they left that they lost sight of Jesus and they didn't even know. See, in a sense, I don't think it's a stretch to say that we do something similar. We leave Jesus in the quote-unquote godly places. We can come to church on Sunday and worship God, but then lose sight of Jesus as we leave. We move on to the rest of the week. Maybe the same thing happens at its small group or another ministry event. But we leave Jesus there and we don't let him influence the rest of our days. In other words, I think we unknowingly live as if we have our spiritual lives and then we have the rest of our lives. And I think this is the, one, of the, one of the ways we start to lose Jesus. Now put differently, we tend to create boundaries of those things we deem as sacred 
and those parts of our lives that we consider secular. So I want you to think, think to yourselves and see if this is true for you. Because we talk about the unconditional love of Jesus within these walls. But maybe we walk out of here and continue on with bitterness and unforgiveness and unkindness in our hearts towards others. So we can know what the Word of God says. To think on things that are honest and just and pure and lovely. But then have dishonesty among relationships. Cutting corners at work. Living in not so pure ways. Exposing ourselves to things that are not so lovely. So I want to be clear here though. We don't deal with our issues so that we become good people. We do this because we've declared that we are dead to sin and alive in Christ. It reveals our heart and our posture towards God. Unconfessed, unrepentant sin will always leave you disconnected from God. The problem with separating the sacred and the secular is that it's an indicator that you may not be letting God take over the entirety of your life. Because if you belong to Jesus, all of your life is sacred. There is no distinction with the secular. It's one seamless life in Christ. Do we get that? Do you allow Jesus to take over all of your life, or do you compartmentalize which parts you let him influence? Because what, what good are the words in a sermon or the truths in the worship that we sing or the words we read in Scripture if it doesn't truly shape our hearts in the way we follow the Lord and love others the remainder of the time? Mary and Joseph also expected Jesus to follow them. And that's where the distance is created. So we too can't treat, treat Jesus as if he's supposed to simply tag along. He's not just a buddy that comes along where you go. You guys remember those shirts from the early 2000s? Jesus is my homeboy. Thought they were kind of cool back then, but I don't think that's very accurate. That's not how it works. He's a friend, but he's not your homeboy. He's the king of kings and he's the lord of lords. And he leads and we get the privilege of following him with our whole being. All of our heart, our mind our soul, and our strength. All right, so the first scene, we see that we, they're losing Jesus. They leave Jesus behind, and then we get to move on to the second scene. Searching for Jesus. Searching for Jesus. Let's read verses 44 and 45 together. But supposing him to be in the group, they went a day's journey. But then they began to search for him among their relatives and acquaintances. And when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem, searching for him. It was an entire day of travel later when Mary and Joseph would realize they've lost Jesus. You can imagine how their hearts sank and then the panic that ensued. And maybe the conversation between Mary and Joseph went something like this. Mary saying to Joseph, I thought he was with you. And then Joseph responding, Mary, you lost the Savior of the world. A little bit of a side note, it wasn't that they were negligent parents, but rather it was a different time. And so a little bit of context here, family and community and relatives were very tightly knit back then, and it would be normal, for, uh, normal to assume that Jesus would have been old enough to know to leave with the group. 
And caravans were sometimes divided where uh, the older men and the younger men were on one end and the children and women were on the other end. And uh, Jesus, being at that transitional age of 12, could have been on either, either side. So the confusion makes some sense. Uh, but I just wanted to put that out there because this is not a passage on parenting. Uh, but anyway, so once they realize that he's not with them, they look for him everywhere with acquaintances and relatives, but he was nowhere to be found. They look in the places where they thought he could be, but not where he rightly would be. Let me say that again. They looked in the places they thought he could be, but not where he rightly would be. And so let's stop here for a moment. Do you do this too? When we can't make sense of a situation and God can feel far away, we tend to ask the same question, I think. Where's Jesus? And confounded, we go on to look in the wrong places. And I think one of the times this happens is when our expectations don't match our reality. When desires, even good desires, aren't met, we start to question his presence. You know, we say, I thought you wanted this for me. I thought I would have kicked this habit by now. I thought I would have this parenting thing down by now. I thought I would be a parent. I thought I would have a spouse by now. I thought you would have healed me of this. I thought I would get this job. I thought you would save me from this rut that I'm in. And I don't know if you can relate to this, but sometimes I feel like things hardly ever go according to plan. Ironically, I think that's part of the problem. You know, Proverbs 19.21 says, Many are the plans in the mind of a man, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. Sometimes I think we have our grip so tightly on our plans that we refuse to see his purpose unfold. So we equate our desired outcomes with the presence of God. And so I do want to be clear here, it's not wrong to expect a big God to do big things, but when we tie our expectations to his presence, that means we're holding on to them so tightly that we care about more about what we can get rather than surrendering to his way, his timing, and his purpose. And 2 Corinthians 1.20 says, and I like the way the NIV states it, for no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. And so through him, the amen is spoken to us by the glory of God. See, he will fulfill every promise he has ever made to you through Christ. It may or may not be everything exactly what you're looking for, but he cares deeply about every single thing weighing on your heart. He will fulfill every promise. You will always find him as you trust in his sovereignty over your life. Another way I think we look for God in the wrong place is when God feels far away, we are looking for just that, a feeling. A feeling of his presence. See, we love it when we're so moved by God that we feel it in our heart. When our feelings follow our convictions, we get a little teary-eyed, we get covered with goosebumps, and we feel the presence of God, right? But we all know that's not always going to be the case. 
We got to get through Leviticus at some point, right? How often do you go through the many seasons where we don't feel that sensation or we don't feel convicted of much or we're not experiencing any sort of spiritual high? Does that mean God isn't there? Absolutely not. See, our feelings matter, but they don't dictate his presence. In fact, I would say take your feelings to the Lord. Let the truth of who he is transform what you feel because we live by faith, not feelings. So pursue Christ in daily faithfulness and obedience whether you feel it inside or not because Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Amen? But I do want to ask you, are you actively searching for Jesus? Or has he been sidelined? Are you looking for him in the right place? you're in Christ, take a deep breath and settle in the midst of his good purpose and providence over your life. God says in Psalm 46.10, to be still and know that I am God. James 4.8 says that when you draw near to him, he will draw near to you. The Spirit of God lives in those who trust him for sure, but we find that it's when we also align our trust our priorities, our actions, and thoughts on him, that's when we're also walking with him. And so as we move on with the story, we see that when all else had failed, things clicked for Mary and Joseph, and they realized he must still be in Jerusalem, and so they make the day's trip back. So that takes us to the third scene. Finding Jesus. Finding Jesus. So let's read verses Uh, Just 46 and 47. After three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them, and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. And so this is a 12-year-old boy, Jesus, questioning and answering the top teachers and scholars of the day. And so let's put this into perspective. If anyone has a 12-ish-year-old child, imagine them a 12-year-old sitting with the top Ivy League professor, an astrophysicist, or a philosopher, and actually going toe-to-toe with them. That's kind of how this was. They were amazed. And it wasn't just humoring Jesus because he was a young boy, but they were in awe by their own standards. One commentary writes, their amazement must be related to his deducing things from Scripture which they had never found before. And we might say, of course, Jesus would be a prodigy. He's God. But there's so much more to this because he was limited by his humanity. He was doing this out of his humanity. He wasn't simply born knowing everything, but he had to learn like you and I. R.C. Sproul said that in his human nature, Jesus was able to perfectly learn the things of God to this extent because of his ability to perfectly keep the great commandment to love the Lord with all his heart, soul, and mind. And his mind, and thus his learning and understanding, would never be clouded by sin or darkness even for a minute. Sproul goes on to say that Jesus didn't have to rely on his divine nature to astound anybody, and that he could do it with his hands tied behind his back in his perfect humanity alone. That is so remarkable. But that's the other thing here. The teachers were amazed by Jesus. 
and rightly so. But they just saw him as a prodigy and nothing more. I think that happens to us as well. Do you live as if you know about Jesus or as if you actually know him as Lord? Because it's one thing to know about the words of God, but it's, the, it's a whole different thing to know Jesus intimately, to be in awe of him and to fall on our knees in worship before him. And so we can see how Jesus could be misunderstood here, right? And so we too have to remember not to treat Jesus as simply an intellectual or moral teacher. Being Christian isn't just about following rules, but following Jesus. He wants to give you life. He's Savior and Lord. And another misunderstanding happens again in verses 48 and 49 when Jesus' own parents arrive. So let's read, uh, first let's read 48 together. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. In other words, she's saying, don't you know that we'd be worried sick about you? We've been looking for you everywhere. Why would you do this to us? See, Mary reacts how you might expect a worried mother to react. Frustrated and correcting him. So Mary didn't realize it, but as she said this, she was also making a statement about who Jesus was. And what he's supposed to do. And it's when Jesus responds that reveals the misunderstanding itself. So let's read verse 49. And he said to them, Why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? So Jesus is essentially saying, But why were you even looking for me? You know who I am. So there's nothing to worry about. You know where I'd be. And that makes sense, right? Who else would know more about Jesus than his own parents, the ones that raised him from birth? Literal angels during his birth told them who Jesus was and what he would accomplish. So what's the misunderstanding here? Mary takes it personally that Jesus didn't do as she wanted or expected. She was basically stating that Jesus is her son, and he should be obedient to them. But Jesus is saying, yes, but I'm also the Son of God. See, when we treat Jesus as anything less than who he is, we too misunderstand and mischaracterize him. So we have to be cautious not to create an idea of who God is and expect him to be, behave in the way we've concocted. And so what was Jesus' reason for remaining at the temple? He says that he must be in his Father's house. Some translations say he must be about his father's business. See, boy, Jesus is growing in his awareness of his identity as the son of God. And in today's age, it might sound normal for us to call God father, but in those times, it was borderline blasphemous to describe God that way. It was too literal, too intimate, too personal, especially from a poor Jewish boy, a nobody from Nazareth. And then Jesus also indicates that being in his father's house was not an option, but an absolute must. Sure, he did have an earthly father in Joseph, but his heavenly father takes precedence over his earthly parents. So he wasn't being disobedient to Mary and Joseph. Rather, he was being obedient to God the Father. He was committed to his father's purpose for him. 
Let's read verses 50 and 51 together. It says, they, they did not understand the saying that he spoke to them. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. And his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. So after Jesus responds so graciously and profoundly, Mary and Joseph basically look at each other and just shrug. They still didn't get it. But it says his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. She didn't get it, but she knew there was something special happening, and she held it close to her heart. She would only understand much, much later what this actually meant. And even after all this, what did Jesus do? In his love, in his humanity, in his humility, he was still submissive to them and went back to Nazareth with them. They didn't even understand the things that he was saying. He didn't have to go. He was the son of God, but he chose to out of his loving, faithful commitment to them. The same commitment that he has to us. So we don't always fully grasp everything that God is doing, but we can take heart that he is committed to the glory of God and for your good. And we will be able to look back at his goodness, even when it didn't make sense at the time. So how do we find Jesus when he feels so far away? The truth is, he may not be so far away. But it might feel that way because we're the ones creating the distance. So let's think about all the things we've discussed today and how we can bridge this gap that we've created and we find him near to us. Do you have unrepentant sin in your life that's creating a disconnect between you and God? Something that you're ignoring or dismissing or think it's insignificant? Or are you looking to God, looking for God to fulfill you in ways that He never promised? Would you say that you're spending time in the Word, that you study the Word, that you pray through the Word? The Word is the place where He's most clearly revealed Himself and His purposes. It's kind of hard to be close to someone when you don't spend time with them, right? And lastly, who do you say Jesus is? And does your life reflect that answer? Because I find that a lot of times we've got to correct the ways in which we knowingly or unknowingly mischaracterize God. Do you treat him as Lord? And let's be serious. I know we asked a lot of questions today, but let's be serious about how we answer them. Because like I said earlier, if we don't... Like, if we don't move forward from this, what good is any of it if we don't let God change us from the inside out? And so I ask, us these, I ask these questions because it brings us to our big idea for today. It's only when we grow in our understanding of Jesus, only when we grow in our understanding of Jesus can we truly find his presence. Only when we grow in our understanding of Jesus can we truly find his presence. To get right with Jesus, we need to get Jesus right. 
Let me say that again. To get right with Jesus, we need to get Jesus right. He is who he says he is. Nothing more, nothing less. And if you want to find Jesus, if you want to be close to him, we need to believe that and we need to live that out. And as we close and come to the end of the passage, we can see that it was never Jesus that was lost. It was Mary and Joseph. It was the teachers. And it's us. And when we look back at what Jesus said, we can see that Jesus' response was in a cold reaction to a frustrated mother. But rather, Jesus was kind and tender-hearted as he gently and graciously corrected her misunderstanding. In fact, he's the only one in this passage that truly understands who he is and what his calling was. To be about his father's business, who was in the business of redeeming the lost, redeeming you and I. In the final verse of the passage, verse 52 reads, And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. He physically, intellectually, and spiritually grew, both with the Father and with people, people that would continue to misunderstand him, from Pharisees to his very own followers, all of whom Jesus came to redeem. It would be a couple of decades later that Mary would finally understand what Jesus meant so many years ago as a child. He would return to Jerusalem much later in his life, one last time. And this time it wouldn't be to celebrate Passover. It would be to become our Passover. This time he'd be carrying a cross. And just like Mary had asked young Jesus so many years back, why have you treated us like this? This time Jesus would be the one asking his father, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? As he held the entire weight of our sins and felt the full wrath of God, to wipe a debt that we could never pay, and to grant us salvation. As Mary saw Jesus beaten and killed, she would then know why. He would then know why. He stayed in his father's house so many years ago. So that you and I would be graciously welcomed to his father's house. He was devoted to God the Father and committed to the very people that misunderstood him. You can trust him today because his commitment to you will never waver, just as it never wavered on the cross. He will never fail you. No matter what you're going through, what lies ahead, you may not understand it, but we can treasure these things in our heart as he works all things out in his time, in his way, and we see the redeeming work of God unfold in us and the rest of the world. Let's believe this today, and let's long for the presence of God. Let's pray. Thanks for listening. For more audio content and information about redemption, please visit our website at redemptionbc.org.